Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews here in the studio today with Maynard Nexon healthcare attorney Matthew Roberts. Matthew, good to be with you. Good to see you. And I'm excited to welcome back today one of our previous guests, Dr. Keshat Patel. Dr. Patel, thank you for joining us again. Of course, you know, I always look forward to this sort of opportunity of sharing what I'm learning. And of course, with the distinguished uh, host like you, as well as Matthew, it's always a pleasure. Well, your kindness is just um, world-renowned in my world. You have had an impressive medical career with a lot of leadership roles. You founded and lead your own medical practice, Carolina Blood and Cancer Associates, and you are the past president of the South Carolina Oncology Society, as well as the past president of the Community Oncology Alliance, which is a national position, I should note. You just recently received a congressional recognition. If you would, tell us just a little bit about that recognition and and maybe what you have learned from all your leadership roles. Sure. Thank you for a wonderful introduction. So, U.S. Congress on December 14th uh, entered my name in a permanent congressional record with the House resolution honoring my distinguished career. And they used specific language saying that I'm an outstanding citizen who set the gold standard for decades in a healthcare delivery. So that's the biggest honor for me as a first generation immigrant to come here. And I, I do feel that, you know, it's there's been a lot of learning curve alongside you know, climbing the tiers of leadership. When I started this kind of learning cancer associates, we were probably almost like 19th in the size in the state in 2003. And today we are the tallest and strongest practice standing alone by itself. Everybody else has been another part of an aggregation group. They've been sold over. But I can tell you that it's always a teamwork. I would like to be the front face of the practice, but my partners, my employees, beginning from the front desk girl, and everybody else who came into my life, including even people like you, Heather, I remember we met almost about 12 years back yes. when I had my first book launch. And then we came across Matthew and his team through Polypisarik. So it's always like very, very kind of uh, what's a spiritual experience for me mm-hmm. to go through these all challenges, but also how we can solve it in a collaborative, cooperative, cohesive way. Well, Dr. Patel, thanks again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and, and we always learn something every time we do. Uh, in your long story career as a physician and a thought care, a thought healthcare thought leader, you have to interact with the, the federal government, state government, uh, and big pharma and private insurance plans. And sometimes there's there's give and take in those those interactions as you negotiate agreements and special relationships that you have uh, with those those players. Um, how have you been so effective in partnering with folks who you don't always agree on how certain things should be handled in the delivery of healthcare because you found a way to, to reach a common ground with your healthcare partners who are not actually clinicians? Right, and that's very important learning for me. So I used to get upset and irritated probably about 20 years back when I came across those different uh, special interest groups. But uh, what I realized was that if I kept my patient at the heart of every conversation, so I'm a businessman and I have to generate revenue to feed myself, to help my practice, to help my partners, to care on the payroll. At the same time, I also have a responsibility of being steward and custodian of those who don't have a voice. So whenever challenges arose, whether it's, you know, a group had a specific interest to do one thing versus what our interests were, I always brought 
that Mahatma Gandhi found that be the voice for the person who's voiceless and you're only civilized if your weakest link in the society is not ignored. So I always kept that at the center and forefront of my heart. And most of the time, I would say that I was able to get a compelling case. It's give, give and take here and there. And life is all about compromising. And, and if you don't compromise, if you're not willing to be able to come on table, we cannot make a progress for the betterment of humanity. And, and and that's certainly true. And in in my conversations with you over the years, it every one of them is about the patient. Even when we're talking about a transaction or a contract or whatever, it, it's interesting that you've been able to to bring some of the government leadership and some of the leadership from pharma and um, the payer health plan community to your practice. To you, you invite them in to see this is how we do things. This is how we run a patient centric. Um, practice and that's been effective to to create some common ground um, with with these folks. Indeed, so you know, back in the uh, the first decade of twenty first century, I invited Blue Cross Blue Shield leadership to come and talk to us. I actually invited Medicare director be then. Uh, her name was Elaine Jeter. I said, I would want you to come to my clinic. I would want you to help me understand the compliance piece because I'm not somebody who's very much tuned to the laws and everything else. And they were so happy to see the transparency, integrity, and honesty. And from there onwards, in fact, I've been able to even work with the peers to design different delivery models. And I think end of the day, the secret sauce of our success is instead of looking at the payer, politicians, pharma, and other sectors as a kind of uh, adversaries, we always looked at them as a part of the team that we all have one theme that is making patients' lives better. And just to add one more thing, in 22 years, Matthew, our practice has not had a single lawsuit for the malpractice. Wow. Despite, yeah. despite having so. 15,000 patients walking through the practice. Right. That's quite an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. Yes. I remember, Dr. Patel, when you were here previously, which it feels like just yesterday, but it was 2021, uh, you were rolling out a charitable initiative in the Rock Hill area, uh, No One Left Behind, NOLA. If you would, tell us, give us an update on that effort and how it's going. So it was one of those kind of, I call the last quarter, the last medicine, the last mile of the last press work. So in 2020, when I became the president of the Community Oncology Alliance, I saw the disparity as biggest challenge. So I spent close to 1,000 hours in 2020 learning about what led to disparities. And instead of waiting for the government to act, I thought, let me take the pulse into my own hands. So we designed a program called, initially was no one left behind, but uh, my dear friend, Holly Pisari said, Kashyap, call it NOLA because it's going to be more kind of, you know, uh, easy to digest. And we started a not-for-profit, not really knowing what I was going to do. But within a matter of one year, we are able to address virtually every aspect of disparity for my clinic patient. Now it has become so popular that uh, Florida State wants me to have them build up a statewide network. So I'm in touch with their state association of oncologists. There's a practice in California, which is hybrid mix of uh, underserved minority in California want to do that. So from our practice, it's going to the national level. But the best compliment was we had a grant reviewer who came to see us from the state because we had some funding from DHEC as a part of the NOLA. And she was in tears. She said, I've been to almost 1,000 first inspections 
that have not seen such a transparent, honest, and integral piece. And to kind of you know, cite an example, I've decided that every right turn one more year, I'll be 62 years, I'll be putting $62,000 into foundation myself because I believe that the cause is working and mm-hmm. I want to sustain it. Yeah, well, it's a great cause and it, 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 it is help helping people, but is also being an example for governments and other institutions to recognize the issues of disparity and how they impact care, the provision of care and access to care in such a negative way. So kudos to you and, and your partners for continuing to, to further the efforts of NOLA. Um, one area that's relatively new, as if you didn't have enough irons in the fire, um, that you're taking a leadership role in, which is very interesting, is this clinical study on the long the long term impacts of the COVID virus and what they're calling long COVID? And I know you are speaking at an upcoming conference that I hope I'll be able to attend. Uh, and you're presenting on some of the clinical issues. This is something we have talked about, heard about in the media. But tell us a little bit about it because this is this is something that I know you are putting a lot of attention and focus on. Thank you, Matthew. This uh, we need a lot more kind of visibility on this because. The acute phase of COVID is gone. Infection is pretty much under control now across the world. But what we are seeing is the remnants of the COVID RNA particle left behind in the body can trigger chronic inflammation. And, and the number of patients impacted or likely to be impacted could be between 8 to 15%. And that long COVID can do either the heart damage, it causes myocarditis, it can cause ongoing inflammation, brain fog, multiple tissue complications. And we've seen some unusual cancers in our clinic, which worries me. So uh, what I decided was that I'm personally hosting this whole meeting from international faculty. In fact, the president of the International Core Research is coming here to Charlotte to spend two days with me. And some of the physicians from Guy's Hospital London, as well as some from France are also joining virtually. I feel that the impact of the long COVID on society as a whole, beginning from excess healthcare costs. So I'll give you an example. One a researcher from Harvard economist says that we may need about $368 billion a year for dealing with long COVID for the next 10 years. That wow. is additional three to four trillion dollars. That's just an economic impact. About seven to ten million Americans will be some or the other crippled because of the either brain fog or physical challenges. So we want to create a consensus, number one, call to action, what research is needed, and we'll be looking for funding for finding 10,000 patients' prospective data to see if we find a triggering inflammatory marker, I can ask my pharma colleagues to develop drugs that are designed to deal with COVID-induced long inflammation. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. So if a person had covid do they have to have a specific uh, variant in order to be subject to this risk of long COVID? Do they have to have certain symptoms? Because, you know, a lot of people before the vaccine, they tested positive, but they had almost no symptoms. And then we know some people obviously got very sick and lost their lives. Uh, what types of patients would be affected by long COVID? And that is a big question because you know, the research has not covered a comprehensive kind of background so what we want to do is make a very structured process where you go back and look at the detail about how many episodes of COVID they had, when did they get vaccine, do they still have antibodies or not, and then if they have comorbidities or not. 
I personally right. feel that patients with pre-existing condition like, you know, diabetes, hypertension, cancer, or autoimmune disease, they are much more vulnerable, maybe two to three times likely. But it's, it's a large number of patient populations. So there are many mm-hmm. unanswered questions we're trying to answer. So it, it, do you have any recommendations for people uh, that had COVID that maybe have separate co- comorbidities that make them more at risk? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, where do where do they go to get answers, or do they have to wait till to hear more about the research that you you're working on? So we are trying to create a call to action where we'll reach out to eventually government agencies we have to start like COVID treatment diagnosis mm-hmm. treatment centers because the number of patients like to be impacted could be up to maybe twenty five to thirty million patients wow. in USA. So that's a huge number, and and we have to look at as a country as a whole. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll, we know you're in the beginning of this, so we'll bring you back to talk about some of some of the what you learned, because this, you know, COVID may have not be may not be the current threat from a a public health standpoint, but I don't think we're done with its impacts just yet. Right. I think we are seeing the long term effect of COVID now. And then one of the researchers who's coming I would if you come, I would love for you to have some one to one time with him. He's the president of the International research and he's also NASA scientist. He works on the virus physiology in the space. Has 200 publications in the space. It would be great for you to connect with him so yeah, we can yeah. bring him on, on this podcast sometime down the road as well. Great, great. That'd be great. Well, I can't think of a better person to, to help lead this, Dr. Patel, than you because you 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 do put others before yourself. I see it in, in, in everything that you do, including in the books you've written. Uh, you've written, I have enjoyed um, books between life and death and from raindrops to an ocean both of them uh, share about your experiences as you've helped your patients face end of life uh, with their diagnoses you have any ideas for the next book is there a third cooking yeah. in your mind <laughs> i have two open contracts right now with penguin yes. random house and i'm working on one of his the humanizing cancer. So our system has fragmented, compartmentalized, and taken reduction, reduced approach. So we've actually brought down human being to a disease, not a human being with emotions. So every one of us is an ecosystem. We have family, we have spouse, we have children, we have parents. But still kind of someone here ignores that. So one book I'm working on is humanizing cancer. How do we bring back the care for the patient where patient is empowered and not kind of fragmented. That's one. The second one is I have some about eight to 10, some miraculous recoveries of the patients that even I can't explain. They were deemed to die and they're still alive in normal life. So what was it different about those patients? Was it their hope? Was it their physiology? Was it their family? So I want to give a ray of hope as well that the cancer is not always about dying. Even when science says it, you have like one in 20 chance of living, you could still live 10 years, 20 years. Right. Well, Dr. Patel, the, these are the kinds of issues that I wish that that uh, today's medical students could hear from you. Maybe you should do a lecture at some of the medical schools <laughs> in the region to help them because I think it would, you know, the kinds of things you have dealt with and, and shared with the public could help with you know, physicians, particularly as they are developing their skill set. Mm-hmm. So they're the, they're the issues that really matter. Yes, they certainly matter the most to patients. Yes, that's what I mean. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Absolutely. I mean. Yes. Dr. Patel, it has been a blessing again to have you back on The Pulse. Thank you for your time. I uh, look forward to all that you have going on from your books to the 
study on long COVID, to the research that you're doing there, to really just your continued work at the Carolina Blood and Cancer Associates, where Matthew and I know you give each patient the time they need, and you determine, working with the patient, what that is. There is no time slot in your office. Thank you so much. The last thing I want to bring up is, you know, with certificate of need being refilled from the state, I think that will allow us to have services that many patients cannot afford because of -of out-of-pocket costs, because, you know, there are many services, for example, there is no center that does colonoscopy, many of the biopsies because of the high cost. So we may look into adding more services that really reduce the financial toxicity to the patients. Great. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, to be continued then, my friend. Okay, thank you. Safe travels to you. you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And for those of you who joined us today on Taking the Pulse, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I always do with Dr. Patel, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast.